Amen. We serve a holy God, right? How kind and good is he to allow us to worship him, even though we're not. This is the story of Jesus. He made a way for us, and so we worship him because of it today. So glad you're with us. Welcome to South City Church. My name is Drew Klein, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and man, what a privilege to have you here. We have some folks that are come, have come back to be with us, and some new faces, and we're glad you're all here. And we count it a privilege that you're with us, honestly, and uh, we would love to answer any questions that you have for us or, or uh, serve you in any way that you would have need, but we're, we're just glad you're with us. For those of you that are still watching at home online, we miss you, we love you, and we trust that the Lord will bring you back as you feel safe to be here and as, as the Lord allows that. Some of our folks are are serving in the medical industry and literally don't wanna bring COVID to us. And some of our folks are in health situations that they can't be compromised. And so we just, we love them all and we just trust the Lord with our church, the future, and uh, with every partner and person that's, that's a part of our church. So uh, welcome. I wanna give you a little recap. As Lori said, we've been in this series four summers. This is our fourth one and we got one more to go, okay? I think we can wrap it up. Next summer, we're gonna wrap up the book of Acts, I think. But you know what I love? As we have been finding our footing as a church over the last four years, we've been reading every summer through the story of the church. And what I love about that is that God has helped us to see uh, not just what we define as the church in in this time period, because it's kind of removed. It's kind of moved away from what the first century church looked like. And so as we've tried to find our footing and grow as a church and, and uh, find our own voice, God has grounded us in this beautiful narrative and book of Acts so that we could learn what the church is supposed to be according to the Lord and according to what the first century was. And so it's been fun to do that. Uh, we've been in sort of the section of Acts that speaks mostly about Paul and kind of follows Paul's journey. We're in the third missionary journey of Paul. Just to remind you, uh, the third missionary journey is, is Paul going back around to the Macedonian churches around the Aegean Sea, and he's planted these churches on the first and second missionary journey. So he's going back to these churches, and he wants to, to take an offering from these churches so that he can take this offering. These churches are, have more wealth, financial wealth, than the church in Jerusalem does. The church in Jerusalem is very poor. Uh, it's they suffered through a famine, and they have a lot of a lot of needs. And so Paul knows that. So he's taking this third missionary journey around Macedonia and he's gathering these offerings. But not only that, he told the churches, hey, if you want to send a representative to come with me to Jerusalem, great, send them. And so he, now he's got not only the offering, but he's got this entourage of people, these, these young men that are with him that are going from their churches with Paul on this journey all the way to Jerusalem. So we've talked about the fact that, that you know, a couple of weeks ago we, we, we had Paul in Caesarea staying at Philip's house, and Paul's kind of, he kind of ran up against the wall. Uh, he's planning on going to Jerusalem, but all of a sudden everybody in the house, including his entourage, including the writer of, of Acts, Luke, they all say, you shouldn't go into Jerusalem. And Paul had to make this decision, am I going to follow man's will or God's will? It's something we each have to make this decision all the time in our own lives. And of course, Paul alone chose to follow God's will, and he knew it was going to be tough. So last week, we talked about the fact that as they went into Jerusalem, they met with James, who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and the elders in the church. And they spend some time, and James tells him, you're not very popular here. 
people think you've been teaching that Moses doesn't matter, that the law doesn't matter, and we're not supposed to circumcise our children, and all these things, and they don't like you. So let's see if we can figure this out. Let's, let's, we have a solution to this problem. Why don't you go to the temple with these guys who are in a Nazarite vow and cleanse yourself and go to the temple and maybe we can restore some of the damage that they think has been done, right? And so Paul takes these guys, he's going to the temple. It's at the temple that Paul is recognized, the text tells us, by some Jewish uh, folks who, have been, who are from Asia, most likely from Ephesus. They recognize Paul, they start stirring lies up about Paul, they grab Paul, they start beating Paul up, and they want to hang him and kill him. And again, the Romans come to the rescue of Paul. Did you know that the Romans rescued Paul quite a few times? <laughs> right? You remember in Corinth when Gallio, he kind of rescued Paul in Corinth? And then a little bit later, they're in Ephesus, and the whole crowd rushes against two of Paul's guys in his entourage, and they run into the theater where who knows what they're wanting to do. I think we know what they want to do to the followers of, of Paul. And so the city manager comes and uh, kind of rescues Paul again. The Romans rescue him again. And here, today, we're going to see again that the, the Romans rescue Paul again. So that's kind of a little bit of a recap. One of the cool things that we've seen last week was this really interesting parallel between the Apostle Paul in this moment where he stands with Jesus. Right, you remember that? We talked about the fact that here Paul is standing in the very footsteps, the very footprints, if you will, of Jesus himself. This is where Jesus was questioned by Pontius Pilate. Jesus wasn't guilty of a crime. Paul's really not guilty of any crime here. And yet, like Jesus, the people cry out, away with him, away with him. And you, you had to think that this is going through Paul's mind, like, am I following Jesus all the way to the cross? Am I going to die? And the thing is, is Paul was ready to die. If that's what he needed to do, if that was a part of God's will for his life, as it was for Jesus' life, he was ready to give his life if that's what it called for. So uh, I love the book of Acts. I love the narrative. And, and we keep pushing pause in this really interesting story. And uh, we did it last week. And honestly, we're going to do it again today and save uh, some good stuff for next summer. So look with me in your Bible, Acts 21, verse 37 uh, through 38. First thing we see that's going to happen is we have a case of mistaken identity. Before we get into it, can we just pray and ask the Lord to bless our, our time in the Word? Pray with me. Father, how very good you are to us. Lord, we love you. God, I can say that as we look in your word together as a family, there's, there's not a more important thing we'll do all week. God, we value your word. We hold it in high esteem. So Jesus, may we open it now and, and, and realize the significant moment that we have to learn from it. Open our hearts, Lord Jesus. Teach us what you want us to know. Show us the story of Paul, but in doing so, God, remind us of who we need to be. God, lead us by your spirit into all truth, I pray. And I pray that I would decrease, God, and that you would increase, O oh Lord, and that you would help us in this time as we study your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's look in the Bible together. Acts 21, 37. It says, that as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? 
And the tribune said to him, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Let's push pause for a second. We're going to do this. We have a large text today. We're going to kind of stop in and out as we explain it. So in this moment, it's a case of mistaken identity. Uh, Paul very politely says, may I I say something to you? He says it in Greek. Well, the tribune goes, wait, 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 you can speak Greek? And immediately the tribune goes, well, if you can speak Greek, then you're probably not the Egyptian that we've been looking for. The uh, Jewish historian Josephus tells us that three years earlier to this moment, there had been an uprising against the Roman army. It was led by a guy who was from Egypt. Uh, Josephus sometimes was was guilty of exaggerating. He said there were 30,000 of these dagger men or these assassins, as he speaks in our text, that uh, this guy from Egypt leads out to the wilderness, up to the Mount of Olives. 30,000. Well, the Tribune says there were 4,000. So regardless, it was a bunch of people that he had influenced against the Roman army. He said that, listen, at my command, we're going to go against the Roman army. Actually, what he said is the walls of Jerusalem are going to fall at my command, and then we're going to attack and kill the Roman soldiers. Well, obviously, that didn't happen, and Felix, the governor at the time in Jerusalem for the Romans, representing the Romans, got, uh, basically got to them before they could make their attack. So they, uh, the Romans kill 400 of these assassins. They capture 200 of the assassins, put them in prison, and several thousand get away along with this Egyptian leader. So for three years in Jerusalem, there's been a most wanted poster of a guy from Egypt, right? This is who they've been looking for. They're not happy with him. And immediately the Tribune thinks, this must be the guy. We've got him. But Paul says, can I say something to you in Greek? And he goes, it just rocks his mind. Wait a minute. Okay, you're not who I thought you were. I thought you were that guy from Egypt and you're not, right? So that's, that's taking place in this moment, the case of mistaken identity. But it's not only mistaken identity with the Tribune, it's also a mistaken identity with the, the Jewish people. Look, look what happens here. Acts 21, verse 39, Paul begins to show and, and identify with Jesus, right? Look, look what he says. Paul replied in verse 29, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there were, was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard what he was uh, addressing them, that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for, for God, as all of you are this day, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished." As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and I saw him. And he said to me, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now what do you, uh, why do you wait Rise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. So I want to break this down a little bit. The first thing we see is Paul's gotten the, the tribune's attention. He says, may I speak to the people? He does his hand like this, like shh, because remember it was so loud that he couldn't even hear Paul speak. So he does his hands for them to be quiet. And then he begins to speak in a Hebrew language, which is most, most likely Aramaic. And when he does so, they, they quiet down even more. And then he addresses them in this family language. Fathers, brothers, right? That's a family language. That's a relational language. He's saying, listen to my voice. See this language. Know I'm one of you. We're, we're part of the family. I'm part of the family. So the first thing Paul does is he says, as he shares his story, as Paul gives his testimony, if you will, he says, I want you to know who I was. This is who I was. He basically says, I'm not the Egyptian, the most wanted guy, and I'm also not just some outsider breaking the law in the temple. Remember, that's what they thought. The, these Jews from Ephesus thought that he had brought an outsider in and crossed the dividing wall, which was, a, which was deserving of death, the penalty of death. So Paul says, the tribune doesn't know who I am, and you don't know who I am. I'm neither of the people you think I am. Let me tell you who I am. And so he begins to, to lay it out for them, his history, his pedigree. I'm a Jew. I'm just like you. I'm from Tarsus, a city of no obs uh, obscurity. In other words, Tarsus was kind of a big deal. It's the first city in Cilicia. It was a university town. Uh, it was known for its wealth, its intellect. It was known for having a great thoroughfare where the Roman soldiers would come through. So what's amazing in this moment is God has allowed Paul to be sort of a representative of both of these worlds. He's a Roman, so the Romans are going, oh, you're one of us. But he's a Jew. Even though he's born in Tarsus, he's raised in Jerusalem under their top teacher, Gamaliel. I mean, there's no one higher. So the respect level just goes, Doo -doo -doo -doo, right? Oh, he's a Jew, and he's one of us, and he was trained under Gamaliel. This guy's a big deal. So Paul's helping them understand all of these things. Then he says, listen, I strictly obeyed the law. The law is a big deal to me. I didn't break some law. I, I strictly obeyed it. And not only that, you think you're zealous for God. I was zealous for God, just as you're being right now. See, they, they wanted to kill Paul because they thought that he had crossed that line. And in their zealousness, uh, they wanted to murder him. They wanted to kill him as a part of their law. Then Paul says, that's who I was. And this is what I did. Look what he says in Acts 22, verse 4. He says, I persecuted this way to the death. 
binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. They know who I am, in other words. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them into bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul says, I was so zealous that I killed people, right? The, it tells us in the first part of Acts 8 that, that Saul was his name before he changed it to Paul, that he was dragging men and women out of their homes. That's how zealous Paul was. He says, I, I, I hunted Christians. I imprisoned them. I killed them. He was murderous. He even went so far as Damascus. Damascus is over 200 miles from Jerusalem. Like this dude was, he was kind of crazy. He was serious about following the law, punishing people who weren't following the law. He went even to Damascus. And then so Paul has said, this is who I was. This is what I did. But then the story changes, doesn't it? And he says, but oh, something, something happened to me. I changed. I got to tell you about it. Look with me. Verse 6, Acts 22. He says, I, I was on my way to Damascus. It was near Damascus. About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, me, saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hands uh, by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Now the first thing I want you to notice is this light. Okay, first of all, let me just say this. Let me just set the context. Middle East at noon. Do you think it's pretty sunny? <laughs> it's as bright as it could possibly be at noon in the Middle East. And yet Jesus shows up and reveals a light so bright even at noon. You know, I, I, sometimes I, I've worked in the uh, staging performance industry for a lot of my life. And you got to have some really bright lights if you're doing something during the day. I mean, it's got to be like twice as much as it is if you're in the dark. The fact that Jesus shows up and this light is so bright that, that everyone sees it, but more than that, it even blinds Paul is a big deal. So Jesus shows up and he, he, he tells Paul on his way to Damascus, why are you persecuting me? And what I love about this, we talked about this even when we were going through Acts 9, Jesus connects himself to the body of Christ, Right? Who had Paul been persecuting? The way, the church, the people of God, the people who believe in Jesus that are following him. And Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting the way? He didn't say that, did he? He said, why are you persecuting me? We, friends, listen, if you're a believer in Jesus, we are the what? Hands and feet of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And so this beautiful moment where Jesus connects himself even bodily uh, to the persecution that Saul was doing. So he tells him, go into Damascus and somebody's going to tell you your appointment, right? In other words, Paul, I got plans for you, bud. You don't know them, but I got some plans for you. And then he goes, the Lord goes to, to Ananias 
Ananias was evidently a believer from uh, the earliest days, which could mean Pentecost. So evidently maybe Ananias had been at Pentecost, came to know the Lord, went back to Damascus. And so he's there ready to receive from the Lord the directions he has for Paul. So Paul tells his whole story. Uh, Paul gets his sight back when Ananias prays over him. He gets his sins forgiven because he gets saved and comes to know Jesus. He gets baptized and he gets his assignment. And, and Ananias goes, why are you, like, why are you still here? Right? I mean, come on. God's got plans for you. He told, remember what he told Ananias? He said, Paul is my servant. He's going to be my witness to kings. He's going to be my witness to the Gentiles. I got plans for Paul, Ananias. Tell him. And that's what Paul is sharing in this moment before the Jews and before the Romans. So Ananias, uh, Jesus first uses this language, and then Ananias repeats it. God of our fathers. Let's look at it in the context of, of the moment here. It says, the God of our fathers appointed to you, uh, appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear a voice from his mouth. I want you to understand this, this language of uh, the God of our fathers would mean a lot to Jewish people. Right? They were all about the, the pedigree. They were all about their heritage of uh, lineage of Moses, Abraham. Right? That's even what the whole circumcision thing was about. These are our fathers. And so for an Ananias to speak to a very Jewish Saul, the God of our fathers, that would have that meant something to Saul. And it means something to this Jewish crowd that Paul is preaching to in this moment and sharing his story. The God of our fathers, the same one that called and sent them, has called you and sending you, Paul, right? Not only that, but he uses some prophetic language when he speaks of Jesus as the righteous one. You're gonna see the righteous one, Ananias says. And, and Paul, of course, is speaking that to this, this crowd. Well, this is, this is prophetic language. Go with me for a second here. Isaiah 53, many of us as believers know that this is a, a chapter that, that beautifully portrays what's going to happen to Jesus a thousand years before it happened to Jesus, right? Look, look, look what it says. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is what happened to Jesus. God laid our sinfulness on, on holy Jesus. And his sacrifice paid the price for us, right? Look what it says in verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. He uses this language, the righteous one. Speaking of the Messiah, Jesus. Look here again uh, in, in the messages from Peter and Stephen as they both of these messages being preached to the Sanhedrin. Acts 3.14, Peter says to the Sanhedrin, you denied the holy and righteous one. He's speaking of the Messiah, Jesus, and asked for a murderer, Barabbas, to be granted to you. Look what Stephen said in Acts 7.52. He says to the Sanhedrin, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, 
whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You see, look, look here. Here's the point of Peter and Stephen and now Paul. I'm going to use language that hopefully will trigger something for you. Because every Saturday you've been reading of the Messiah coming to redeem us. And you missed him. The righteous one is Jesus. How did we miss him? It's almost as if Paul is saying, if you've lived a righteous life as a Jew and you have followed the prophecies, right, then you would, you would recognize Jesus. You would recognize that he was the one that was willing to give his life for us. That this life as a Jew would lead us to recognition of the righteous one as Jesus, our Messiah. So Paul here is using this prophetic language, just hoping they realize who Jesus is. Hoping he can open their eyes. They have a case of mistaken identity of Jesus. They thought he was a crazy person. Pretty good teacher, but then he died sort of a quiet death and then he started this crazy rebellion. There's a, there's a church that's following him. No, no. He was God's own son incarnate, sent from heaven by a loving father to bear on a cruel cross what I deserve, what you deserve, right? And Jesus, uh, Paul is saying, listen, that Jesus is the righteous one. So Paul does what all of us need to learn to do. He, he shares his story of salvation. Remember Paul said, this is who I was. Man, you won't believe the things I did. But then I changed Jesus changed my heart, and now I want to tell you how he sent me. Acts 22, verse 17. It says, when I returned to Jerusalem, Paul here is speaking about the fact that he's in Damascus, he comes to know Christ as his Savior, he's baptized, he starts preaching, and you might remember he told us in Galatians 1 that he went into Arabia. And in that season in Arabia, he had three years of discipleship training, if you will. The disciples had their three years with Jesus to be trained by Jesus. Paul had three years with Jesus in Arabia. So it's three years now after this happened in Damascus that Paul finally goes back to Jerusalem. And look what happens. He says, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So here's Paul in the temple. He's been in this place off and on all through his whole life. But this is three years after leaving Damascus, after being in Arabia. He goes to, to Jerusalem to spend some time. He's, he sees James. And he falls into a trance in, in the temple. And in that moment, in that vision, he sees Jesus. And Jesus, number one, he warns him. People are not going to believe your testimony about me. You need to be careful. You need to get out of here, right? And it's so interesting, Paul's response. And it's almost like Paul is, you can almost feel the regret 
you can almost feel the sadness like, Lord, these guys, these guys know what I did. They know I went into one synagogue after another. They, I went into one house after another. I beat people, Lord. They know what I've done, almost as if to say, maybe they'll remember me and maybe they'll listen to my story of redemption. Jesus, maybe I should stay here and I, I'm willing to tell the story now. And, and Jesus doesn't even address it. He just says, I'm sending you far away to the Gentiles. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, you're going to tell your story to the Jews, but not today. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. I got a plan, Paul. Listen to me. It's not your plan. It's not what you think. It's what I think. I'm sending you far away to the Gentiles. One day you'll tell this story. And guess what this day is that we read about in Acts 22? It's the day. It's the day that Paul stands before those Jews and can tell them who he was, what he did, how he changed, and how Jesus has sent him to the Gentiles. You know, we mentioned this before. Somebody is called an apostle when they're sent on mission. That's the definition of, of apostle, to be sent on mission. So if, if we send somebody out and we pray over somebody to go plant a church or to go to another country, or whatever, we send them out on mission. They could be called an apostle, if you will. But they would be a small a apostle because we're sending them. But those that Jesus himself sent on mission, the disciples in the Great Commission, Paul in this moment, they're all capital A apostles because they're sent by Jesus himself. This is the moment he becomes a capital A apostle. For the rest of Paul's life, basically, he's gonna share this story. For the rest of his life in prison, for the most part, he's gonna share who he was, what he had done, and how Christ had changed his life. The crowd was hungry for his death, not unlike what happened in the story of Jesus. And here he has an opportunity to share what God has done, who Jesus has been to him. You know, this, this story is full of mistaken identity, right? The Tribune didn't know who he was, thought he was Egyptian. The people didn't know who he was, thought he was just some outsider, had broken the law. There's also a mistaken identity in that crowd of who Jesus was. They didn't know who Jesus was. And can I just tell you, there's a great case of mistaken identity in our world today of who Jesus is. Not just a teacher. Not just a good figure. He's a world changer. He's everything. By his grace, we are here today to worship and know him and love him. My hope this morning is as we look at this story of, of Paul, as we break down what he did when he went into Jerusalem. Listen, you remember they had told him not to go and they'd even given him descriptions. There had been prophecy about what would happen. Agabus said, you're gonna be bound hand and foot. You're gonna be imprisoned. The Lord had told him that. You're gonna have a lot of stuff that's not great. It's gonna be bad, and Paul said, listen, I might even die. Paul didn't even know if he was about to die. The point I'm making is he went anyway to follow God's will for this moment. 
He endured the suffering. He endured the bondage. He endured the beating and he would have endured death if it meant preaching Jesus. This moment, when he says to the tribune, may I speak? And he lets him speak and he hushes the people and he shares his story is the reason. It's the reason he went through those things for that moment to say, Jesus changes broken people. Is that good news? Jesus changes evil people. Jesus changes sinful people. That's who Paul was and that's who I am and that's who you are. Apart from Christ, we have no hope. Romans tells us that, right? No one is without sin. No one. We should feel the weight of that. We should feel the hopelessness of that because that hopelessness leads us to the beautiful gospel truth that Jesus didn't leave us there, did he? He saved us. He gave us life. He redeemed us for those who believe. And Paul had this amazing opportunity to say, that was me, that was my life. Are you listening? Did Paul deserve Jesus' grace? No. Had he, had he done a lot of work to earn it? No. You see, God is holy. And, and Paul, Saul, had, had, had done a lot of bad things against his body, his people. Jesus could have very well just went zap <laughs> to Saul, right? Jesus could have very well zapped any of us as well. He doesn't. Listen, look at the heart of Jesus. He loves. The fact that Jesus shows up to Paul on the road to Damascus reveals himself to him instead of zapping him is it's a heart of grace. It's a heart of forgiveness. It's a heart of I can use broken people who are willing to be surrendered to me. I wonder how God might use you. How do, how do people identify you? How does your spouse see you? How does your family, your extended family, how do they identify you? Who are you? Does your life revolve around the worldview and the reality of this unbelievable event that God sent his only son to redeem us? Or is that just a little side thing that you just kind of stick in your pocket occasionally when you need to? I'll just go to church on occasion. It's kind of what you're supposed to do on Sunday, and and uh, I hope things work out. It'll just maybe it's you know, good luck or whatever. No. Who are you? Because maybe this world has a case of mistaken identity in you. Maybe they don't know you as a Christ follower, though you believe you are one. See, my question this morning is, what is our true identity? Does your world, the people who know you, the people who love you, do they know that you are sold out to Jesus? Do they know that he has changed you, even though you made a lot of mistakes, even though they know who you were, but he's redeemed you, he's given you life? Do they know that about you? If they don't, why not? If they don't, what idol have you placed before a relationship with Jesus that you need to surrender to him today? If they don't know you that way, why not? 
Is it not that big of a deal? (laughs) All right, let me ask this question. Do you know Jesus as your Savior at all? Maybe you're here today and you're going, I don't even know that I've ever asked Jesus to save me. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I have a relationship with God. Listen, today is the day to know. Today is the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It doesn't say tomorrow is the day of salvation, right? It says today is. When we realize that we are lost, we are hopeless, and as as Romans tells us, we have no hope apart from Christ. We need Jesus. Friends, do you know him? Is he your savior? If there's any question in your heart, would would you come see me? Would you talk with us? And let us pray with you and help you understand where you stand with God. And can I just, as I close, I want to encourage, I think it's so fitting that the last message that we look at this summer in the book of Acts is one that encourages us to be a witness. We prayed as elders um, a couple of weeks ago on our elder retreat that God would give us a heart for the lost. That God would change our hearts and make us so passionate for the lost. Paul was so passionate to be obedient to God for the lost that he's willing to go into places that he knew were going to be difficult so that he could stand now before these Romans, over 200, and these Jews that wanted to kill him and say, it doesn't matter. I don't matter. What matters is that I can tell you the truth of who Jesus is and how he changed me. That's your job as a person of faith. Just like Paul You have a story to tell who you were, what you've done. Maybe that's relevant in some of the conversations that you have. Listen, I've been there, friend. I did some of the same mistakes that you've made. Maybe that's part of your conversation. And then you say, but I got to tell you about the change, right? Something happened in me. I don't understand it completely. You see, Paul didn't lay down some uh, theological treatise or construct before this crowd. He didn't say, let me explain some things as professor. Did he? He said, this is my story. This is all I got to give you is, this is who I was, this is what I did, and Jesus changed me. And that's all God requires of you. Tell your story. And you know what? You're not responsible for the outcome of what you do. I want to say that again. I want you to hear me what I'm saying. You are not and will not be held responsible for the outcome of sharing your story. Only God, John 6, says, can draw someone's heart to himself. Only the Father can do that. But we are held responsible for sharing it. We don't know what's going to happen. Today I share this in faith, in love for you. This is what God's called me to. This is my assignment. I joyfully tell you today, Jesus loves you and he wants to save you. It's also your assignment uh, what happens, what you decide to do with that is, is not on me, it's on you. And as you spend time speaking with your family and your friends, the outcome is not up to you, but we have to be responsible to speak. We have to be responsible to, to be reminded of, of moments that we can say something as we're having conversations. Hey, can I just share something with you? Man, you wouldn't believe the person I used to be. You wouldn't believe the stuff I did. I'm not that person anymore. You know, sometimes we think we have to have some sort of 
seminary degree to be able to tell people about Jesus. It's not the truth. God just wants you to share your story. He wants you to have your identity found in Christ alone. And he wants you to tell that story. Are you telling it? When's the last time you had a conversation about it? Because I think we're having a lot of conversations and we could be a little more proactive of, of putting that story in there. What do you think? I know I could. And it's my prayer that the Lord would give us those opportunities to share. Hey, listen, I want to close. And as I do, can I just tell you, if you don't know Christ today and you're here in this building and you want to know Jesus, I would love to share him with you. I would love to pray with you. I would love to explain from the word of God how to know Christ. Or maybe you have a burden for somebody who doesn't know Christ and you want to come and just lay their name and their, uh, their life and their family down at this altar and say, Lord, would you save them? Or maybe on your heart this morning you realize, I need to find my true identity in Christ and the world needs to know it. It's not a secret. And I need to share my story more often. I pray that that would be our prayer. And that this would be how God would use this time in his word together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story, Lord, that we've seen today of Paul. So clearly, so bravely connects to this group of people, brothers and fathers. This is what I've done. This is who I was. I'm, I'm a part of you. But something changed in me. And I didn't stop loving God. I didn't stop obeying his word. He changed me because Messiah showed up, revealed himself to me. And God, as we, we have that same experience, may you change us. May you give us a passion, a hunger, Lord, to share your word. Even today, Lord, if we're going to a restaurant, maybe there's an opportunity to, to speak to a waiter or a waitress. God, who knows what conversations we're going to get into at the gas station and at work and the grocery store and online where we can just share what you've done in us. We don't have to have some sort of theological proposal. All we have to say is, let me just tell you what happened to me. This is my story. This is what God has done in me. This is how kind he is to me, and I'm not the same Lord Jesus, you came to this earth to redeem us. You gave your life, Lord, for evil, broken, sinful people like me. I'm so grateful, Lord. I'm so grateful. It's not just about a ticket to heaven. It's not just about after I'm gone, Lord. It's about every day of my life salvation began, the day you changed me. Lord, if there's any person here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, would you draw their hearts, Lord? Father, would you draw them? God, would you use these conversations that are going to happen? God, would you burden our souls for the lost? And forgive us, Lord, where we haven't cared. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, if there's 
someone here today that just needs to bow before you and say, God, I need my identity to be known as yours. And I need to share this story faithfully. Would you help me? God, would you just draw them? In this time of commitment, in this time of worship, may we just focus on what you would have us do as your people. We love you, Father. We give you this time to worship you. Minister to our hearts and may we be faithful to respond now, however you want of us. Whatever you want of us, God, that we respond to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.